Welcome to the Coast to Coast Podcast. We are back here with episode 16. I am your host, Kyle Creasy, and I'm here with my co-host, Tommy Smith. Today, we have a really fun episode. We're able to have Miami Heat assistant athletic trainer Brandon Gillum on. Really awesome interview with Brandon. Tommy, how'd you feel about our interview? It was amazing. You just hear some things that, I mean, you would never hear unless you listen to this podcast. So thank you guys for tuning in. Yeah, I mean, I can speak and say, you know, we have we had our outline ready just like any other episode. And there were things that, you know, it happens a lot, but it's just like being able to hear it from somebody who works in the NBA to just kind of talk off script. And it was just awesome, like just really cool insight on a lot of different things. So really fun interview there. You guys are going to enjoy it. But before we get into that, we do have some things to go over. Uh, we're recording this on a Friday. Obviously, we just had the NBA draft last night. Well, we saw all 60 picks. Congratulations to all those guys who were just drafted. But we're going to give you a first-round recap. Um, we are also going to kind of talk about maybe who, like, the winners of the draft were, maybe some of the losers of the draft were, the steal of the draft, and some of the trades that were around the draft. And then we're also going to be starting a series here. The uh, It won't necessarily be the next five episodes, but within the next five weeks, we are giving you guys a top 50 all-time list, and we are also going to do top 10s at every single position. It won't necessarily be a top 10 from how this season went or going to next year. It's kind of just a mixture of both. It's kind of like who are the top 10 players at that position right now, in our opinion. So, again, you know, you have to keep in mind our top 10 or our top 50 list won't be exactly what yours would be, but we've taken a lot of time into this, and we, we think we can ap- accurately uh, represent what that – what it might be in our opinion um today we're just giving you 50 through 41 um in the top 50 list and then we're giving you our top 10 power forwards today and before we right before we get into the interview of brandon we also have some fake Kyrie irving trades as well uh, it seems like it might be a disaster over there in brooklyn um we expected a lot of draft night trades and i think a lot of those were put on pause simply because the Kyrie and KD drama just kind of escalated like crazy. So, you know, the possibility of one or both of those guys becoming available, the teams has made everyone hold off because I'd say, I'd say close to 70% of the league says, Hey, we have a chance at at least one of those guys. You agree? Definitely. (laughs) And, and, you know, I think it's safe to say, obviously a lot of teams would like Kyrie Irving, but if Kevin Durant is available at all, teams will wait and teams will throw whatever they possibly maybe can at Kevin Durant. So he's still on contract for four years. This isn't somebody who would ask out that had a, that would have a year left. This would be something we've never seen before. So I think the league is waiting because of that. Um, yep. But first, first thing we're going to get into, we're going to start out with our top 50. Now, one thing that we did decide on with this, and me and Tommy decided it, we are not going to include players if their prime was before 1980. And that's not because we don't respect anything before the 1980s. It's just hard to evaluate because obviously we don't see as much tape on those guys. Uh, the league was a lot smaller. There's just so many things that, that kind of counter into that, that we just felt more comfortable giving you a top 50 from people whose primes were – past 1980 to present-day modern NBA. Um, yeah. Anything to say about that, Tommy? Nah, yeah, not not really, but, I mean, we, we just don't really want to get into 
I think stuff that, that made we can't really easier. speak on. Yeah, I think that made it a little easier on my life. I don't know about you. No, definitely. It, definitely. It, it was a lot easier for me to come up with a top 50 list without having to say, oh, where do I have Wilt Chamberlain or Bill Russell, even though they played in the 67s, you know? Yeah. That, it was easier for me in that sense. Um, but coming in first, and we're going to kind of bounce back and forth. First, I want to give some honorable mentions. I ended up making a list of about 80 players, um, but some guys that just missed out for me, no order, Tracy McGrady, Sidney Moncrief, Clay Thompson, Devin Booker, Kevin Love, LaMarcus Aldridge, and Clay Thompson. Did you have anybody that you kind of wanted to shout out as maybe like an honorable mention? Uh, no. Nope, I don't. I didn't, I didn't make a list that, that big. <laughs> I just wanted to make – some of them probably had no business being on the list, but I just want to make sure I wasn't missing anybody. Um, I'll jump straight into it. At number 50, I have Russell Westbrook. Okay. You mean any any rhyme or reason? I'm gonna kind of go. I'm gonna kind of talk it through that as I go through my picks. Not yet. Though. Gotcha. I think I also just want to acknowledge I did not throw Russell Westbrook at 50 just because I felt obligated to. That's just kind of where he fell for me. Yep. Gotcha. So at 50, I had Alonzo Mourning. Okay. Um. Mm-hmm. At 49, I went with Carmelo Anthony, and I think. For me, I was I was I didn't necessarily do it all based off like awards, accomplishments, and accolades. I also kind of put in my head, okay, where did this guy go as like a first option? And then if they both had similar first option stories, where did they go as second options? Well, I saw Carmelo Anthony, you know, I was younger, but I I, I definitely went back and watched game film from from the series as well. I saw Carmelo Anthony in a stacked West go toe to toe with Kobe Bryant in a Western Conference Finals. So. I went with Carmelo, just a prolific scorer, a top 25 scorer ever. That's who I went with at 49. Gotcha. At 49, I have uh, Chauncey Billups. Um, he's just – I mean, he was the best player on a championship team one year. Um, Average – or was consistently around that 15 to 20 points a game with good, not not really great assist numbers, but um, he was named Mr. Big Shot for a reason. Yeah. Um, at 48, I went with Penny Hardaway, uh, I think an underrated player in a sense. Um, and him and Shaq had some great runs. And, you know, I, some of those playoff series, when you look into it, he, he was phenomenal. So I, I went with Penny at 48. Gotcha. At 48, I got, I got Mello. I actually put him there. Uh, arguably the, one of the best ISO scores of all time. Yeah. 47, I went with Ray Allen. Um, I know a lot of people just think Celtics time, but uh, obviously a champion that was a huge piece that was an all-star on a championship team, but also a guy that was a game away from leading a team as first option in the NBA Finals that a lot of people don't realize. Yeah. And 47, I have Tony Parker. So he never really posted the stats to like the all NBA first team selection, but he was a four time champ, six time all star, three time all defense, and was was a 2007 finals MVP. So, yeah, I, I actually have Tony Parker at 46. <laughs> exactly the reasons you said, kind of also an underrated player, in my opinion, but that's who I wanted at 46. All right. At 46, I have uh, Dwight Howard. He was a top three center for probably a decade. Eight-time All-Star, three-time Deep Defensive Player of the Year, five-time All-NBA First Team, but 2009 he kind of got sent into oblivion. Yeah, um, I have Chris Webber 
at 45. That's who I went with. I think he gets lost and forgotten in a lot of conversations simply because they weren't able to close it out against the Kobe and Shaq Lakers. Gotcha. At 45, I had I had Rick Barry, uh, the bird before the bird. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I guess that was pre-1980. That's my bad. I would say prime for him was probably – Probably pre nineteen eighty. Yeah, but I mean, he played into some of them. Some of them get tricky. If yeah, yeah, like some of them get tricky. At forty four, I went with Adrian Dantley, who played with the Utah Jazz and the Detroit Pistons, just an elite scorer, and ended up being the leading scorer on a championship team with the Bad Boy Pistons. Uh, Just yeah, I mean, prolific scorer that, that ended up being a leading scoring championship team. So, for me, I had Dan Lee at 44. Okay. At 44, I actually put Reggie Miller here. He's part of the 50-40-9-D. One of the players I'd love to see play the game now. But um, he he really showed up in the playoffs. He scored 30-plus 26 times and 40-plus three times. Yeah. Reggie was great. Um, at 43, I've got Kyrie Irving. Um, obviously a polarizing guy, but I think there's no, like, you can't just take away what he did uh, in 2016 and kind of like what he did with LeBron James in general. I get it. It was, it was with LeBron, but what he did was some unreal stuff. And honestly, we've probably been robbed of some stuff with him considering this year with just him not being vaccinated and last year with him getting an injury in the playoffs. But I got Kyrie at 43. Yeah, at 43, I got uh, Paul Pierce. He's one of the most consistent scorers in the middle of the ladder, part of the 2000s, champ, finals MVP, fourth most buzzer beaters in NBA history. Just clutch. Great player, for sure. 42, I have Damian Lillard. Um, Some people kind of argue him and Kyrie, but I've seen Dame as a first option take a team to the Western Conference Finals. I've seen Dame just be incredible with lackluster teams, in my opinion. So, yeah, I went with Dame here. I think he, you know, he's not one MVP, but an MVP caliber guy that's been there before, been in, like, top five in some MVPs. So, yeah, I, I felt very comfortable putting Dame right where he is at 42. Gotcha. 42, I put uh, Clyde. Clyde the Glide. Oh, yeah. Anybody who wants to pick out a rivalry with MJ um, definitely has the heart. Um, so, he and he actually won a championship when MJ retired for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Or went to baseball, and then he's a 10-time All-Star, five-time All-NBA selection. So, Yep. At 41, I went with Jason Kidd. So, to wrap up my first 10 guys, at 41, I have Jason Kidd. Just heck of a player. Probably gets lost whenever you're talking about all-time point guards. Um, led a team in the Nets to the finals. Uh, kind of like a triple-double machine before getting triple-doubles was kind of like more prevalent. So, just heck of a player, uh, won a championship later in his career, but just, yeah, finished it out with uh, Jason Kidd at 41. Um, uh, at 41, just to get these a uh, little bit of old players out of here, I had Kevin McHale. Um, okay. First five season, he he started out as the six-man role, won two championships, um, eventually elevated his game over Robert Parrish, um, then was the second-best player to Larry Bird on a championship team. So, yeah, that, I mean, that wraps up our first 10. Um, again, we'll give you a new 10 every week. Next week will be 40 through 31. I think it's going to be fun to do as we go. Obviously, from our two opinion opinions alone, you see the differences already. 
I think it's going to be fun. So I'm excited. So that's our 50 through 41. And we will keep you updated every week until we obviously finish on the fifth week. Um, now we want to go into a first round recap from last night or just draft recap in general. But first will be a first round review. Tommy and I are going to kind of spin off each other. We'll talk to each other. Just talking about different picks and maybe how we think that they feel with their teams. Uh, the top three we'll talk about kind of together and then we'll kind of just go from that. But number one, a, a surprise for sure, Paolo Bancaro to the Orlando Magic. Um, how surprised were you, Tommy? I was like, I was super shocked. But um, again, like we said a while ago, these top three, it's really you can pick whichever one you want with them. Yeah. And, you know, they kind of threw like a smoke screen. Uh, I don't necessarily understand why you do that if you have the number one pick. But uh, um, uh-huh. also didn't really have Bancaro super involved as much as they did Jabari Smith. Or Chet, so I thought that was confusing. But at the end of the day, I think Paolo's a great fit. Um, this team already has an above-average defense and was really good defensively after the All-Star break. Um, they really struggled offensively. And now they get a guy who's kind of like instant offense, can do a little bit of everything, one of the best ISO scorers in the post and mid-post in all of college basketball last year. And they don't have much off the off of pick and roll. And he can give them pretty elite creation, both as the ball handler or the roller. And I'm interested in seeing some two-man game with him and Franz Wagner or with him and Wendell Carter Jr. Yep, he's my super, super, super early pick to win Rookie of the Year. Um, I thought he was probably the most NBA-ready, just like his his muscle and the way he plays the game. Um, Body for it. But but what I didn't like about this pick is, is it was like, a building block pick like you got to build around them to be successful well you know i think franz and wendell carter definitely fit with him but i mm-hmm. agree i think the guards are, might be an awkward fit their current guards but i think if they think he's the best player available you don't pick for fit you pick who you think's the best player so they can they'll gladly deal with who fits better with him later on you know yep um definitely number two the guy that I think has the highest ceiling in this draft class, uh, you guys know, Chet Holmgren to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, I, I think that this one was inevitable from the day that we saw the lottery results. Uh, Chet, Chet, in my, he's great off the dribble. Like his his numbers off the dribble are really, really good. And Chet's just also like a very efficient scorer in general. Uh, he'll help Shea Yotis Alexander a lot in that sense. And, you know, this team's been looking for, like, an anchor in a five-man, and Chet's going to be the defensive anchor they've wanted in a five-man this team's been looking for. Yep. Um, I really love this pick. Um, I think it was very easy for the Thunder, like you said. Um, everything you want is there. He's like a true unicorn. He can he can protect the rim, pass, reliably make threes. Um, probably definitely one of the – Highest ceilings I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and then at three, obviously, since Paolo went number one, Houston, definitely a weird scenario. They probably didn't help themselves by – because I think – my ultimate thing was I think Orlando was perfectly fine with picking either Jabari or Paolo. And I think Orlando – I could be completely wrong. I think Orlando kind of told themselves, but we like Paolo a lot too, so why don't we just pick him and – if the Rockets want him that bad, we'll still get Jabari, who we love, and we'll get we'll get later draft compensation because of it. And so I just think that 
you can't you can't show your cards too much. And Houston trading Christian Wood, which was inevitable, but trading him immediately after working out Paolo Bancaro, probably not the smartest thing to do to just kind of show everybody what you're going to do, you know? Mm-hmm. But yep. anyway, I think Jabari actually is a better fit in Houston than Paolo would have been. They have their go-to scorer with Jalen Green. They have another guy that is kind of ball dominant with Kevin Porter Jr. Uh, I think that Jabari would be able to play better off Alperin Shingun than Paolo maybe would have. Um, Jabari gives this team defense that they need really bad, elite shooting that they need. And he's he can probably play more of like a – I, I'm not comparing him to Kevin Durant, but I'm just saying like how Kevin Durant can be very effective without having the ball in his hands all the time. That's how that's kind of how like Jabari can score. So Jalen Green can be more ball dominant and pair really well with Jabari Smith. So I really like this pick. Yep, I, I love this pick. I would have preferred to have the number three pick in this draft just because it was easy for you. Um, him and him and Jalen are obviously going to be super fun to watch. Um, out of the three, he probably needs to develop the most. Uh, but like you said, he's a great shoot, a great shooter and a switchable defender. Um, I personally thought he was going to go with number one. I did too. I was shocked. Um, and then you know you're gonna yeah. you're gonna kind of take pick four. Yeah, I, yeah, I got four. So at four we had uh, Keegan Murray. So per I mean personally, me I did not enjoy this pick, but I understood why they did it. Um, He's a senior, 22 years old, uh, probably a bit more mature than other guys. Um, was probably the best, second best player in college basketball last year, just the way he played. Um, but I don't know how much you're going to pull out of him with him being 22 already. So that's what I got on that. I, I do think the optimism there is that he, he like really progressed as a player from last year to this year and mm-hmm. a very efficient and smart player on both ends. I think he fits really well with Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox, and he's a great transition player. And for a guy like De'Aaron Fox, that's as kind of as fast as he is and pushed it like he does. I think Keegan Murray could fit really well in that sense. You can people can argue. I don't know. If, I don't think you t- you you're not supposed to take a fit pick here, but I also think Sacramento might actually think Keegan Murray was the best selection. I don't yeah. know. I mean, maybe yeah. like I wouldn't call them crazy if they said that. I guess that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, I gotcha. Now at five, Jaden Ivey to the Detroit Pistons. Perfect scenario here. Perfect scenario. The the Pistons jumping for joy. They probably didn't think Ivey was going to fall to five. He did. He's going to be the perfect run mate with Cade Cunningham. He's just he's a combo guard that plays at a different a different pace. He's going to be awesome when Cade's kind of in PNR and he can kind of kick it to him and Ivey can make something happen. Also, Ivey being able to be a secondary guy to come off PNRs. It's going to be awesome, man. I'm excited to see it. This backcourt's going to be special. He scores in a lot of ways. He can also be like a secondary playmaker. And I don't really think he's a point guard, so I'm glad he's not going into a situation as a point guard. So I'm really excited about this one. Okay. And then at six, we had uh, Benedict. Excuse me, I don't I don't know how to say his last Benedict name. Mathurin. How'd you say it? Benedict Matherin. Matherin, Matherin. Okay, gotcha. I think he has a really good upside. Um Six foot six and just really athletic. I think his measurables and upside are definitely better than how he played this year. Um, he's one of the guys that rose up the draft rankings as you looked more into him. 
Yeah, I mean, he did. He like I didn't see this pick coming. I really didn't think that that they would pick Matherin at six. I I thought Sharp was the pick here. I I don't necessarily disagree with it, but I I just wasn't expecting it. I do think Matherin pairs really well with Tyrese Halliburton, just in the sense that they needed another shot creator, and he's exactly that. He scores at all three levels and is very dynamic off the bounce as well. My opinion, Malcolm Brogdon will be traded soon. This is definitely their backcourt for the future. Yeah, I like that. Um, at seven, we did see Shade and Sharp go here to Portland. Another shocker, in my opinion. I was not expecting this one. I thought this pick was going to be traded, whether it was for like a Lou Dort or an OG Ananobi. Now, now Zach Lowe came out and said the OG Ananobi thing was never real uh, or never made much progress at least. But I thought it was going to be traded in some sense. I thought the Lou Dort thing was a real possibility. I guess Oklahoma City either didn't, didn't want to trade up there. Maybe they maybe uh, Portland wanted more. I don't know. But Sharp ends it at Portland here. It's not going to help them right now. Probably not. But I guess it does give them something to fall back on if Dame ends up out of there because Sharp has extremely high potential. Probably might have the second highest ceiling after Chet. Maybe. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I like that. Um, so next we had uh, Dyson Daniels. Um, so the only thing I don't like about him is that he doesn't have a shot right now, but that's definitely something that you can work on. Um, he's great on and off the ball. Um, super high ceiling. If they work on his shot, he's, I mean, he's going to be special. Um, and he's already arguably probably the best perimeter defender on this team, wouldn't you say? Yeah, um, obviously they have Herb there. And so, like, you know, Herb is awesome. But Dyson Daniels can definitely walk in and be a great defender. Um, I just think it's going to be nice to have, like, a 6'8", 6'9", playmaker on the team. You can never have too many of those. And he does a lot of, like, winning things. So, like, he just plays really hard. He's going to make the right play. And I think his shot looks okay. So, I mean, there's potential for it. So, I do think that. I liked what they did. It was it was a small swing, but it was a swing that could really pay off because they are already kind of deep. Um, at number nine, Jeremy Sohan to the Spurs. I personally love this pick. Uh, just a very NBA-ready guy and has endless potential as well. And at the ninth pick, you don't see that very often. So, you know, I think Sohan fits tremendously alongside DeJounte Murray, Keldon Johnson, and Devin Vassell. And I think the Spurs are quietly developing an elite young core after they just got him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, at number 10, we had uh, Johnny Davis. He went to Wisconsin. Um, this is a guy, I mean, you probably didn't hear about him. In Just to clarify to the audience, he's going to the Wizards. Yeah. Oh, my bad. He's going to the Wizards. My bad, my bad. Uh, but uh, probably before this year, you probably hadn't heard of him. But he's someone who rose up to the ranks this year, uh, was one of the contenders for National Player of the Year. Um, it scares me a little bit because – is he one of those guys that's going to get into the league and he's a, he was a college player? But I don't think that is. But I think he can work with uh, Bradley Bill and it's a guy that helps you win more games. Yeah. Um, he's an elite scorer. Wizards needed a point guard. I, I don't understand even making the selection. Like, I, like there wasn't a point guard available, so they I think they should have tried to shop it or something. I'm sure they did, but – I think this was worst case scenario for them in the sense that they just drafted another wing player. Like, not a position of need right now. If Beal leaves, I think it's a good pick. If Beal's there, I, I you just use a top ten pick on a guy who won't even play much. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, at pick 11, Uzman Jang, uh, originally to the Knicks, but it's going to the Thunder. They made a trade. We'll talk about the trades after we get done talking about all this. But Jang to the Thunder, just a lot of upside, a lot of potential, perfect situation here in the th- at the Thunder to be able to have time to grow. Um, and then right afterwards, the Thunder used their 12th pick to get Jalen Williams. Not played too much competition, just in the sense that he was at um, Santa Clara. But he has all the tools to be like a Swiss Army knife guard or forward and just another guy that will get tons of opportunity in Oklahoma City. So excited to see this OKC um, core, just all of them. Gotcha. At number 13, this was a weird, this was a really weird pick. Uh, so it was the Knicks pick. Or, so it was It was the Hornets it was the Knicks pick. pick. Hornets pick. And it, it, the Knicks thing was earlier. It was the Hornets pick. Gotcha. And it ended up, obviously, Duran ended up going to Detroit. Yeah. Yeah, that is really weird. And it's oh, – we'll get into it later. We'll get into it later, guys. This doesn't make sense to me. But um, it's a guy you can pair with Ivy, uh, put on this young Pistons team. Um, I, I like the pick a lot, um, and I think he's going to make the Pistons a whole lot better. He's – if if we were talking two, three years ago, he'd have been a top five pick. Spoiler alert, the Pistons are a huge winner in my opinion. But, um, yeah, I love the pick. Uh, at 14, you had Ochai Abaji to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Thought this was a great pickup at 14 for them. There are rumors that they might trade down, end up staying at 14 for a team that just needs – like they have their core in my opinion. They just got another good piece to add to it. I think he helps immediately off the bench, and he's on a real deal. He's on a team with real deal playoff aspirations. Great all-around type guy. Like to pick a lot. At number 15, uh, this is uh, Pelicans. Mark Williams to Charlotte. Yeah. Yeah, Charlotte. But, yeah, it was originally the Pelicans pick, correct? I don't remember how that worked it, out. It, it had gotten I just know Charlotte that. got him. Yeah, Charlotte got it. Um, so this was – they finally got the center that they traded away from getting. Uh, they, they, in my opinion, they should have gotten Duran, but we'll talk about that later. Um, but Williams can really defend. Uh, I, I like the pick, but I think they could have done better. Yeah, I think this, this just kind of told me that, like, Mark Williams was their guy, and so they were okay with trading that pick 13. Obviously, like Tommy said, we'll get into it in a minute, but – yeah, I mean, he's he's going to be a good shot blocker and a good lob threat for him. At the end of the day, they've needed a five-man badly, and he'll he'll be a solid one. Um, A.J. Griffin to the Hawks. Uh, go ahead and say it. Steal the draft. Um, the best 3-and-D player in the draft. Atlanta <laughs> is loving life right now that they fell all the way to them. You know, you're now pairing A.J. Griffin with DeAndre Hunter on the perimeter to give this Hawks team an even better perimeter defense and to kind of help Trey Young out. They're both also guys that are good three-point shooters and can create can create off the bounce as well. I think it's a perfect wing duo, wing duo to try to build around Trey Young. I loved it. I am so excited. I mean, just with the pass that Trey Young is, he's probably AJ was probably the best shooter in the draft. Oh my goodness! I was yeah, just excited. He had no business falling to sixteen. It ridiculous, but is what it is. The Hawks are definitely excited. 17, Tari Eason to the Houston Rockets. Uh, you know, since the Rockets got Jabari instead of Paolo, they ended up going with a four-man at this pick. 
Uh, Eason can do a lot of similar things to Palo on a smaller scale, but Eason is also a really, really good defender. So I think that they've kind of got their starting five young core now. They're going to roll out with Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green, Jabari Smith. It allows Jabari to play the three, Tari Eason at the four, Alperin Shingun at the five. I like it. I like it. So I like the pick. Yeah, number 18, the the Bulls pick Dalen Terry. Um, I personally, I didn't, I didn't like this pick as much, but um, a guy that's really confident, um, not afraid of the noise the crowd did her. So I get why Chicago did it. Chicago has always been a team that likes to have players like this. So I'm with you. I wasn't a big fan of the pick. Um, there's no guard room as it is, and they're they're pretty set top to bottom. The team is what it is. I said I hopefully ho- hopefully that there's some type of trade with this, but I guess not at this point. I don't know. Thought it was weird. Um, at 19, you know, Jake Laravia to the Grizzlies. Um, you know, Memphis gets a six nine guard here who has tons of potential as a shooter and an off the ball player and as a good high IQ defender as well. Memphis did a great job in the draft. This is a perfect guy that you'd want around John Morant. I don't question anything they do anymore either because they've proven how good they are in the draft. I love this pick. Um, You're right. (laughs) But what about them dang Spurs at 20? Uh, They got Malachi Braun. Um, He's a a Spurs guy. He's a real Spurs guy. He's a wing with size, can create well. Golly. Um, I like this pick a whole lot. He's he's really high on my board. There was a need at the two guard for the Spurs as well, and they find their guy right here. Yeah. (laughs) Boy, did they ever. Yeah. At 21, the Denver Nuggets got Christian Brown. I think he's perfect for this team. High IQ, great cutter, and an elite three-point shooter as well. Great size. I just think he fits perfectly as a guy to play off Nikola Jokic. And do not be surprised if Christian Brown is a starter on this Nuggets team at some point next season and going into the playoffs because this team will be a playoff team. Um, At 22, the T-Wolves went with Walker Kessler. This one makes sense only because the T-Wolves have wanted a five-man really bad. Um, Their new plans are to use and play Cat at the four. Kessler was the best shot blocker in college basketball. He's a good lob threat as well. But, I mean, it'll be interesting to see the dynamic between him and Cat. I mean, we'll see how it works out. Um, And then at 23, uh, the Grizzlies selected David Roddy. I saw David Roddy play live in the NCAA tournament. I think this dude's special, kind of like Laravia. He's just a bigger, like, do-it-all guy. He's really smart. He's a good playmaker. He can shoot it. Like I said, Memphis knows what they're doing. They found the perfect guys to put around John Morant. Another great selection here. Okay, at 24, we had the Bucks selecting Marjan Bochamp. And this is a pick that I didn't get at all. And you can probably – or you can help me through this a little bit, but – it's just not a guy that you want to build around Giannis, in my in my opinion, because I mean, he just needs to figure out his jumper, and that's really what you need to put be putting around Giannis. I agree. You know, my immediate thoughts were like, you know, his story is great, and I'm glad I'm glad he got drafted. And I'm rooting for him for sure. 
but he's not the prototypical guy that you would like to have around Giannis in the sense that he's not really a shooter at all. Um, I do think he has some two-way potential. Uh, you know, he can get to the rim. He can potentially create brothers. Not sure that's a strength right now. And he fits in great defensively. But, I, again, I just don't think that he's a great fit at the moment. And they maybe could have looked towards some other guys that had potential to shoot the ball and be a good defender. No. Um, at 25, yeah, Blake Wesley to the Spurs. Kind of a stock riser in the past month. Um, the Spurs kind of take a swing here, more of an inefficient guard in college, but he's still a, a great combo guard that has potential to be really good off the dribble. And not, they had three first-round picks. Why not take a swing? So I was cool with it. At, uh, at 26, we had the Timberwolves taking Wendell Moore. I love this pick. Um, anytime I turned on Duke, when I was watching him, this guy was everywhere. He's guarding the one, the two, the three, the four, the five. Uh, so he's a guy that can really guard multiple positions and play multiple ro roles on this Timberwolves team, which we see are, is getting better. And we told you this was going to happen. Yep. I mean, you, you see it so far. Tim Connolly in his first draft, making his first selections. Looks good to me, if you ask. Um, but – 27, the Miami Heat take Nikola Jovic. Yes, I know his name is one letter away from Jokic. Thought that was kind of funny as well. Obviously been a prospect for a while. I think has potential to be a huge steal in the draft. He's a 6'10 swingman who's very skilled. He'll immediately translate as a floor spacer. Smart player. Exactly what Miami needs in the sense of a bigger floor spacer. I like it. Yep. Um, so... At 28, the Warriors picked uh, Patrick Baldwin, Jr. Um, I like this pick uh, for the Warriors. I think this is who, who they'd take in the draft a year ago, even if they had the pick they did last year. But um, he's, a, he's just a guy that – it's a Warriors pick. Is he going to help immediately? Probably not. But is he going to develop into a great player? Yes, he is. I do agree it's a Warriors pick. I think he's a wild card. I think it is a big swing. He's got the body. He seems like he could be a very intelligent player. It's just kind of hard to comprehend, and we'll see how it goes. He did have a very, very bad year at a school that wasn't playing very much competition. So we'll see how it goes. It's a swing that could very well pay off, though. Um and then at 29, uh, we had the Houston Rockets picking uh, Ty Ty Washington Jr. Um, I like I like I like this pick a lot. I mean, the Houston Rockets are obviously doing something, picking all these guys that played against each other in the SEC. Um, but I think him and uh, Jalen can complement each other nice. Uh, he proves that he he proved that he could play defense as well. So I like this pick a lot. From the beginning, I've thought Kennedy Chandler was a better better pick here than Ty Ty Washington. Maybe I'm wrong. Nonetheless, Ty Ty Washington is still a very good playmaker with potential to be a good shot creator. Got a good float game, which is important for point guards in the NBA. Could be a very good backup point guard for this team. We'll see. You know, he'll come off and he'll play off of Kevin Porter Jr.'s minutes. But And then the last pick of the first round was Peyton Watson to Denver. Huge reach here, but, I mean, Denver's got some solid depth already. Jeff Green said he's coming back as well, accepting his player option. They're going to be healthy again next year. They already had Christian Brown drafted. So, yeah, I mean, 
you know, Peyton Watson, he's a lot of potential. It's like a, an athletic 6'8 wing. There's promise there, but it doesn't work. Who cares? You know, it's a swing. But that, that was the whole first round. We just wanted to I got some breaking news. I got some breaking news. Steve right. Clifford has just agreed to uh, a deal to return as the Charlotte Hornets coach. No comment. <laughs> I saw it, and I wasn't even going to bring it up. I mean, I don't care that you did, but I was just like, why? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's whatever. Um, I thought D'Antoni was the higher, but it is what it is. Yeah. Um, you know, some winners and losers. Uh, I don't want to go into too great detail just because I think I think each one's pretty self-explanatory. Winners for me, I picked four. I got the Thunder, the Pistons, the Hawks, and the Grizzlies. Those were my just, hey, you won the draft. The Thunder overall won it for me, but those four I thought were all just big-time winners. I can't can't disagree with you, buddy. <laughs> um, I had two losers because I actually thought this draft was pretty deep and I thought a lot of selections were good. I went with the Knicks and the Wizards. The Knicks, we'll get into it in a second with their trade. Uh, they just – Flipped a number 11 pick, basically, on hoping that they get Jalen Brunson in free agency. Um, <laughs> yeah. Maybe it works. I don't know. But I'm just saying it doesn't look good right now. Um, and then for the Wizards, again, I think Johnny Davis is a good prospect. But if Bradley Beal stays, you're just still in purgatory and you just drafted a guy that plays the same position as him, basically. So yep. I, I got two losers. I got two losers. Um, I'm going to go with the Hornets and the Bucks. So, you know, Bucks, I didn't want to be too hard on them. But, yeah, I agree. There's probably somebody better to look at there. And the uh, the Hornets, yeah, I mean, I didn't want to call them a loser because I think they they just needed a five-man general and they got one. And I guess technically they did get an extra asset out of it. But Duren was there and they could have had Duren. So, yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with you that, yeah, they are kind of a loser for not getting Duren. Yeah. Um. Now, some of the trades that happened last night and also one that led to this point, Jeremy Grant was traded to the Portland Trailblazers for the 2025 Milwaukee first-round pick. I know at first glance, people were probably like, that's all it took for Jeremy Grant. Well, listen, guys, Jeremy Grant only had one deal, one year left on his deal. And at the same time, people didn't want to necessarily trade like other players for him necessarily. And Portland had a lot of cap space, and they were like, we can take him on. And so they didn't have to send a player, so it just created a trade exception for Detroit. It was a win for both sides. Yep. <laughs> yep. I mean, I, I, I think Jeremy Grant is going to fit well in Portland with Damian Lillard. I do. And and we, mm. I kind of called it. I kind of called it way back. Jeremy Grant, that Jeremy Grant being a Blazer. I mean, if you remember, whenever we talked about this a long time ago, I pretty much said, yeah, I think Jeremy Grant's going to be a Blazer. Yeah. You, yeah. You do. I just thought it was a matter of time. But how do you feel about the trade in general? I mean, I feel good about it for both sides. It's, uh, I mean, they're both looking – one's looking to win more now, one's looking to build with young players. So, Oh, yeah. I mean, Portland has more work to do. I'm yeah. not saying that this is like – but this is a good start. Yeah, definitely. No, I agree. Um. The 76ers traded the 23rd pick last night and Danny Green for DeAnthony Melton. Daryl Morey, 
incredible. DeAnthony mm-hmm. Melton is awesome. I, I also understand why the Grizzlies traded him just because their guard room is so deep. But And they were able to get David Roddy out of that pick, so it's kind of a win in their opinion. Um, but DeAnthony Melton for the Sixers is going to be great. I agree. No, yeah. It's going to be fun. Great rebound. It's gonna be fun. It depends. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about that coach, but, you know. You know, for the Sixers that struggled rebounding last year, he's a great rebounder for his position. He's an elite shooter that will help Embiid and Harden off all that and Maxi. And he's also just – he's a solid defender. Like, I, I like it. I like it a lot. I'm a big DeAnthony Mountain guy. Now, getting into what the Knicks did. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the Knicks traded pick 11, Kimball Walker, and some future seconds – now, they, they, they got off Kimball Walker's salary because, like I said, it's pretty clear they're going for Jalen Brunson. Um, traded pick 11 in those seconds. Their return was obviously some more cap space. They got three future firsts. And at first, everybody was kind of like, oh, you know, that's not, like, that bad. Well, here's the deal. There's protections on all those firsts. A wiz- they're, they're all picks in next year's draft. The Wizards pick is lottery protected. Sorry, Wizards fans. You probably aren't making the playoffs next year. Um, so that's a pick that probably goes back to them. Agree or disagree? Agree. Um, Nuggets pick is a lot of your protected. Now, I think they're going to make the playoffs, so that's probably a pick that the Knicks will probably get. But it's probably going to be later first round. Not anything crazy, you know? Yep. And then the Pistons pick is top 18 protected. I like what the Pistons are doing. I also don't necessarily think the Pistons will be a top 12 team next year. <laughs> so, so I, they, I say they probably only get that one pick back from the Nuggets since the late first rounder. So they basically just trade away pick 11 and four future seconds. If they get Brunson, they, they, they have the right to look at all of us and be like, yeah, guys, shut up. We got Jalen Brunson. If they don't, this trade is horrible. I agree. Um, and then, you know, lastly, the Hornets kind of got involved with those two teams, and they traded the draft rights to Jalen Duran for that 2025 Bucks first rounder from the, uh, from the Pistons. And I just don't understand it. You basically traded in, – in essence, you traded Jalen Duran – and probably a very late pick in 2025 for Mark Williams. Yeah. Or, or you traded Duran for Mark Williams in that late 2025 pick, probably. It's the Bucks. They're going to have Giannis on it. I was going to say, spoiler, they will yeah. have Giannis. Yeah, so they got some seconds, too, but I was not a big fan of that. Like we said, not a lot of trades last night, no real big trades or anything. It's ultimately because the KD Kyrie stuff. Now, last two things before we get into our interview with Brandon. First off, top 10 power forwards. Um, I'll just – I'll give my 10 and then you give your 10. Uh, honorable mentions real quick. I just want to say shout-out Dorian Finney-Smith, Jeremy Grant, and Miles Bridges. Did you have any honorable mentions? Uh, no. Okay. And then my top 10 power forwards, or we'll just bounce back and forth. Number 10, 
Number 10, Draymond Green. Number 10, P.J. Tucker. Okay. Number 9, Keldon Johnson. Number 9, Scotty Barnes. Number 8, John Collins. Number 8, Tobias Harris. Okay. At number 7, I have Tobias Harris. At number 7, I have Evan Mobley. At number 6, I have Evan Mobley. At number 6, you don't hate me. I have Keldon Johnson. I like him a lot. Okay, I like Keldon. I don't know if I'd put him over some of those guys, but I like Keldon. Number five, Scotty Barnes. Number five, watch out this next season, Miles Bridges. Okay. I definitely would not rank him above some of those guys, but if you're banking on that, then I get it. Yeah. Uh, I think he's going to play play like – we're going to see a different Miles Bridges out there is all I'm going to say. He's definitely good, but I will – I will say in no world would I put him over Scotty Barnes or Evan Mobley, just personally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got you. One, I feel you. At number four, I have Jaron Jackson Jr. Okay. At number four, I put Draymond there. Okay. At number three, I have Anthony Davis. Three, I have Jaron Jackson Jr. At number two, I have Pascal Siakam. Number two, I had AD. And obviously at number one, I have Giannis. And same here. So no Pascal, TK? No Pascal. You, you, I don't know if you know how I feel about Pascal, but you, sh- I don't know. I think – I, I disagree with you there heavily. But yeah. I, I think he's awesome. Um, All-NBA guy this past year. Yeah, I totally disagree with you there. But Yeah, it, uh, fair, it, fair. It is what it is. Um, yeah. And so obviously we'll give you guys our top ten positions as we go every week. This week was power forwards. We felt like that was the, I don't want to call it least fun one, but probably where there's the not as much talent as the other positions. So last thing before we get into the interview with Brandon, some fake Kyrie trades. Boom. And I've got some. Tommy's got some. I originally had six. I've completely annexed the Clippers trade. I think Lawrence Frank, the way he talked today, it does not sound like he's very interested in Kyrie Irving. He obviously didn't say anything directly, but I got that out of his comments. And the Lakers thing, I'm just writing it off. The three-team deal, I just I just don't see it. I Way too hard. Um, yeah, I have three. Okay, I've got – so now I've got one. I've got four. So we'll just bounce back and forth. I'll start first because I got four and you got three. Okay. My first one is Kyrie Irving to the Miami Heat for Tyler Hero, Kyle Lowry, Omar Yurtsman, and three future first-round picks. I ultimately included the three future first because I don't think any piece in there is immediately super, super enticing to the Brooklyn Nets, plus they take on Kyle Lowry's contract. Okay. My, I have Kyrie how do you, and Trey. How do you feel about that one? I like that. Uh, no, I like it. I like that right there. Okay. Um, so I have uh, Kyrie going to the Mavericks uh, in a trade uh, for Jalen Brunson and obviously a sign-and-trade situation, Red, Reggie Bullock and two firsts. So I had a I, – I like it. I, I think the Mavs should totally eye Kyrie Irving. Now, my thing, if I'm the Mavs, is if I have to get rid of any other rotational player, like in a sense like a Bullock or a Dorian Finney-Smith, I'm not doing it if I'm Dallas, personally. My trade was Kyrie 
for obviously Brunson in the sign and trade, Davis Bertans, uh, Josh Green, Jaden Hardy, who they just drafted, and a future first round pick. Okay, I like that. I like that a lot. I didn't annex the Clippers the league, trade though. The league does not want to see Kyrie Irving on the Dallas Mavericks if they can keep everybody where they would have a lineup of Luca, Kyrie, Reggie Bullock, Dorian Finney Smith, and Christian Wood. Yeah. Yeah. Kyle, you're going to hate this trade that I have next. <laughs> okay, let me hear it. You're giving up a little bit too much, but uh, Clippers getting Kyrie for, or yeah, getting, Clippers getting Kyrie for giving up uh, Norman Powell, Marcus Moritz, man, and then multiple second round picks. No, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, my Clipper offer, if I was to give one, was something along the lines of obviously we don't have any first to give, so I know that's why you didn't include first either, because I know we've been. Yeah first and other deals but mine where i would consider it would be if we could give reggie jackson marcus morris luke Kennard, and brandon boston i mean i i don't want to give up norman powell i think he's a good wing to have and yeah i mean i'm not yeah i, I don't want to give yeah. up a man either i would especially not both i just yeah. think our team, i just think our current team construction can win a championship and could be the favorites out West maybe going into the next season. So I just don't want to touch it much unless I think we severely improve. And I don't know if we trade two of those guys, if we do severely improve. I feel you. Um, is that all yours? Or do you Wait, did you one? give it? Did you? Yeah, I got, I got one more to the Knicks. Okay, so I've got two. My Knicks one is Kyrie to the Knicks for Evan Fournier, Cam Reddish, Alec Burks, and I couldn't come up with how many first, but just a multitude of first-round picks. Yeah, and I I have something like it'd be just like shifting the reins. It'd be like a Julius Randle for uh, Kyrie and then maybe putting in another asset with oh, okay. Brooklyn. I could see maybe Julius Randle and some, some draft capital. Yeah. Um, I mean, ultimately, Brooklyn, like you guys might think some of these offers are underwhelming. Guys, if Kyrie opts into the player option, they're not going to get some crazy offer. Like, they're just not if he opts in because then he has a year left and he can do whatever next offseason. Yep. So you might as well get something because you know what he's – And if he, gets, if he gets traded, he's going to opt in. If he wants to sign somewhere outright, he'll opt out because he's not going to opt out and get traded somewhere because a sign-and-trade hard caps almost everybody that would be interested on his list. Yeah. So my last one is Kyrie Irving to the Timberwolves. And the only reason I included them, I know they're not technically on his list right now, but they were on his short list a few years ago. I'd say that was probably only because of Jimmy Butler. But still – I know the T-Wolves are shopping D-Lo, so I said, Kyrie, and, and ultimately, guys, the Knicks, if somebody's offering, the Knicks can accept, I mean, the Nets can accept it. They don't have to cater to him if somebody gives them an offer that they like. So, I got Kyrie to the T-Wolves for D'Angelo Russell, Jared Vanderbilt, uh, guys drafted first name, Wendell Moore, and two future first-round picks. Okay. I like – yeah, I think that's realistic, and I like it. So, those are some fake Kyrie trades. Um, 
Yeah, it'll be interesting. A week from today, we'll, we'll probably upload this on tomorrow and Saturday, but today's Friday. A week from today, maybe even five days from now, because that's whenever Kyrie has to opt in or out. It's just going to be chaos. Yeah. It seems like he's gone, and KD, he's not just came out and said it, but from reports, it just seems like if Kyrie's gone, KD is demanding a trade. We're making it. I'm not saying we're going to do it, but you might see an emergency podcast. <laughs> you might. And uh, I'll, be, I'll just be honest with you guys. I have some, uh, I have some KD trade scenarios worked up just in case. <laughs> so we'll see. Now on to a super fun interview. Excited for you guys to hear it. Brandon is awesome. Glad we, I've been communicating with him for a while. Glad we were able to find him on. But, yeah, I think you guys are going to enjoy this one. Agree, TK. Oh, yeah. I'm really excited. You guys are going to get to hear this. Yep. Awesome. So, awesome content. Yep. So we'll get straight into it. Here's the interview with Brandon. And now we're happy to bring on Brandon Gillum with the Miami Heat. Brandon is an assistant athletic trainer. Brandon has been there for eight years now. And through a connection of mine and a very good friend and a mentor, I was able to get a hold of Brandon. So, Brandon, thank you for coming on with us today, man. No, I'm, I'm glad to be here with, with you and Tommy. This is going to be fun. Yeah, for sure. Definitely had this in the works for a good little bit. We've been very excited to have you on. Um, so just, just wanted to get some quick hitters out of the way. Uh, just kind of tell us, you know, where you're from. You know, I know you were raised somewhere else, but just kind of your upbringing. Yep. So I was born in a small town called Big Stone Gap, Virginia. Um, so that's a, a little coal mining country, but that's a lot of my roots are there. My mom's got a big family. They're, they're all still there. So I spent a lot of time back and forth just going there for summers to spend it with my grandparents and then with that side of the family. But I was mostly raised in Sewanee, Tennessee, um, which is about 80, 85 miles outside of Nashville. It's actually a little closer to Chattanooga. So um, that's that's where I grew up. Uh, small, small town feel um, and just, you know, being born in a small town and growing up in a small town and, and then now being in, in Miami, you can imagine what kind of culture shock that was. But um, going back and visiting those places is always good for me to, to clear my head and, and reset. Yeah. Um... And then, you know, you ended up going to University of Tennessee at Knoxville and you got your degree and your master's degree there. And then you ended up getting your doctorate at Belmont, right? Yeah. So, yeah, at the University of Tennessee, um, I was there. I studied exercise science. Um, and like all, you know, people going into to, um, college, I really didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to be something. And I was interested in medicine. Um, and I was interested in sports. And so I started um, as a freshman, I, I worked in the athletic training room as a student um, and they paid for my books that year. And then I ended up, you know, working myself up to a full ride. So uh, my athletic training background, uh, you know, started there. Um, I actually started before that, to be totally honest with you. Um, my dad enrolled me at a camp. We had talked about, you know, kind of different things to be involved in sports and how I can, you know, stick to being around sports. Um, if I, if I, you know, if I weren't going to be able to make it as a, as a player, like what are other avenues? And he enrolled me at a camp at Vanderbilt. Um, and when I got there, I was in seventh grade 
And when I got there, it was like for people coming out of high school to go to college. Like, so it was like this athletic training camp. It was just like going to a basketball camp or a football camp. Yeah. And I was um, like, I was, a, I was a ninth grader, excuse me. So I was a ninth grader going into that. And so it was just one of those things where I'm the youngest one there and I'm just soaking up all this knowledge and I just loved it. I probably had no business being there, but <laughs> somehow my dad got me in and that's kind of like where my love of athletic training started. It's like, oh, this is like, this is a cool environment. This is a cool way to be around the sports that I love. Um, and then also tie in something else that I love and that's the study of medicine. Um, so I did that at Tennessee. Long story short, I did that at Tennessee, worked in the athletic training room there um as a freshman started there and um i worked basketball my freshman and sophomore years and i worked football all four years and here and there i did a little um track and field and a little swimming and diving but that's um that, those are my ut years we were really good at football and really bad at basketball and it kind of has swung the other way uh, in, in recent years but i was there with peyton i was there with peyton for two years which is, you know, really cool. And I was there with uh, my good friend T. Martin, who's now coaching with the Ravens. Uh, so I was there when we won a national championship. I have a national championship ring. I have two SEC championship rings. So all the cool stuff that, that comes along with, with, that, with that side of sports, I, I got to enjoy all of that. But also um, my love of athletic training and being, being around the guys in that capacity and getting them back on the field is, is where I, I spent most of my time. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I it's incredible right there. A national championship ring. <laughs> Jeez. I'm, I was hoping to get a bigger ring this year, but we came up just a little short. <laughs> yeah, very close. Very close. But, um, so, uh, you know, we talked about it a little bit just before we, we started this, just off, but I just want you to just tell our audience, you know, what did you do before the NBA and, and what got you into the NBA around that time in 2014 whenever you started with the Miami Heat? Yep. So you also mentioned that I, you know, attended Belmont. I graduated from Belmont in 2005 with my doctorate of physical therapy. And um, I started working at a, a local PT clinic. But I, all, I, I, when I interviewed, I told the, um, the gentleman that, that hired me that I wanted to do outreach. I wanted to cover sports. And so I covered sports at a, a local high school there in Nashville, Christ Presbyterian Academy, uh, CPA. So I covered sports there and I worked in the clinic and I would start in the clinic and see my first patient at like 6 a.m. And I would work until about two and then I would eat lunch in the car from two to three and I would drive to the school so that I would be at school right around the time that school let out and the sports uh, began as far as practice. And you can imagine most days that's you're there three to six, three to seven, no big deal. But Friday night football, you're there to midnight, 1 a.m. Or, you know, basketball games, you're there till 10 or 11 at night, however that goes. So it was made for pretty long days. So it actually prepared me for what I do now because there are some pretty long days in, in what I do. But I, I loved it. I loved every minute of it. And um, in Nashville over time, um, I moved away from that a little bit as much as I enjoyed it. And I started to do more like a concierge service uh, where I saw entertainers, athletes, songwriters and i would just go to them and provide that service for them whether it's a fitness or a physical therapy um, service or an athletic training service that they they needed whatever they needed provided and i would just do that in their homes because their schedules were so hectic that that they just wanted somebody to come to them as opposed to going to a specific clinic for treatment um, and then 
during that time, I also tra uh, traveled and taught continued education with a mentor of mine, Dr. Mike Voigt, who is a uh, professor at Belmont University, teaches uh, orthopedics there. Um, and it's so funny how the world works, but it's all about timing and being in the right place at the right time. And I actually was telling this story the other day. I, <laughs> we got called to cover a class in Dallas uh, or in the Fort Worth area. Uh, because one of the instructors had booked double booked himself so we weren't even supposed to be there so mike and i travel down and we're teaching this class in dallas and the at the time the head trainer and the assistant trainer for the washington wizards and the head trainer and the assistant trainer for the dallas mavericks were in the class they took the class and so i you know fostered those relationships and kept those relationships and then a few weeks had passed and they called me and they asked me the Dallas Mavericks called me and asked me, my, my friend Casey Smith with the Mavericks called me and asked me, would I be interested in coming and doing some consulting? And so I was super pumped. I'm like super excited. Um, I get to, you know, get all my eggs in, in one basket and I'm like, all right, I got a plan together. This is what I'm going to do. And I can remember thinking on the way to Dallas, like I'm going to show them all this cool stuff. I'm going to teach them so much new thing, so many new things. This is going to be amazing. And within about a minute and a half to three minutes, it probably was a little bit quicker than that of being in the training room. I realized that I'm about to be the one to learn. I'm about to soak up so much knowledge and I'm sure they benefited from it. I mean, I charged them for it regardless. So whether they benefited from it or not, I got paid, but I benefited so much one in the fact of being back in the athletic training room environment reminded me of what it was like when I was at Tennessee and I was like, I was made for this. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is what I'm passionate about. And I did the consulting that whole, whole week. And I talked with Casey afterwards. I said, I don't know if opportunities ever come up, but I know that this is what I want to do. And this is what I want to do for a living. I really enjoyed being here. Um, and when I left there, I just thought maybe I'm going to figure out some sort of consulting business and go that route with it. And that was, I think, in 2012. So it took a couple of years, but a couple of years um, went by and my name had been circulating through the NBA and I interviewed with a couple of teams and Miami was one of those teams. And um, when I landed here and got off the plane, I was like, yeah, I can do this. Hopefully they offer me a job. <laughs> that's, that's really cool. Definitely. So, you know, I, I wanted to ask, like, was that a dream of yours? But I mean, it sounds like it kind of became a dream of yours as you got into it. Like it was, and basketball's always been my favorite sport. I mean, I worked football at at, at Tennessee, and we were really successful. Um, I mean, I, I was just looking at my rings the other day, and one of the rings had the seniors record on it. So Peyton's senior year, and their record was forty nine and five. They lost five games in their entire collegiate career. That's unheard of, and so. There was a lot of success with that, but my my heart has always been with basketball. Um, I think what the reason for that being when I was with basketball at Tennessee, Kevin O'Neill was a head coach my freshman year. It seems like we had a new head coach every year for a couple of years there, but he one made me feel like I was part of the team as a freshman. He would come and ask me how I thought practice went. He probably didn't care how I thought practice went, but he he probably realized that it's important that I feel like I'm part of the team yeah. so that those guys are coming in for treatment and those guys are doing the things that we ask of them. Um, 
and you, it's 15 guys. I got to know 15 guys really well. I still have some really great friends from Tennessee football, but you have 200 guys that are that you're trying to take care of, and the dynamics are just different. You know, you have 15 guys that you get to know really well, and you're there day in and day out with. And so basketball is always a love of mine. And when I was there in Dallas and experienced that, I was like, this is it. This is – it's the top of the top. There's some of the best athletes on the planet, and I can make a difference. This is what I want to do. Yeah, really cool stuff. Um, and so obviously after that took off, you ended up in Miami, where you are now, where you've been for about eight years. Um, you know, first thing I want to ask is, how would you describe it is working for the Miami Heat as an organization? And, you know, specifically some of those guys up top that you're under and how are those guys to you? Just the organization itself, how is it and how are those guys that are up top? Um, and I'm not just saying this because I work for Miami Heat. You can ask anybody that's, at, that's ever talked to me that um, I, I compare it to if you were working for a company. So forget the sports aspect of it. If you were working for a company, um, I would compare it to working for like an Apple or a Google. It's the top of the top. It is, it's a great company to work for. Um, they do take care of their people. It is a, we talk about it, it's, it's a family atmosphere. Um, it's, it's not perfect. No, no family I know is perfect. So we, we, we say we are dysfunctional. We try to work on things. And as long as we can admit that we're dysfunctional and find things that we can continue to work on, um, I think that we're always going to be moving in the right direction and pursuing uh, excellence with that. Um, but it's a great organization. And it's a great, it's a great place to, to come to work if you just take the sports side out of it. Now I have my love for sports into it, and that you you can already imagine how I feel about feel about it. Um, when you have guys like Coach Pat Riley, I mean he's our he's our president. And so I have, I have to I have to ask real quick: Is Pat Riley really always just this stern faced dude that's just like business all the time? Um. <laughs> Because when you see him, when you see him like on your TV or like when you ever hear people, it's just like, it's like, it's the same expression all the time. Yeah. Yes and no. He, there, there are a few people that I've seen in my entire career of sports that have that switch, that be able to turn on that switch of, you know, Al Wilson was the first time I ever saw it at the University of Tennessee. You know, I, I goof off with him all week and the first game day I walked by his locker and he looks completely different. It's like that guy does not even look like Al. Like that's who is that? Like it actually freaked me out. And Coach, Coach Riley's he's cut of that same cloth. He is very much business oriented and very much about winning and whatever it takes to win or whatever we need to do to win, then that's what we do. Um, so he's very much about that. But he has a side to him that's very much familial and and outgoing and and you know. When you have a guy like that call you into the office and say, look, as far as I'm concerned and as long as I'm here, I see you as a Miami Heat lifer. I see you as always having a place here with the Miami Heat. That's so empowering. And it's, it's a powerful statement because it's not like I have to worry about my job and my position. I can, you know, if another team is pursuing me and they, they get permission to talk to me, I can feel comfortable in talking to them because I know I'm safe here. Yeah, and I, I, imagine, I imagine around the league, I mean, I don't, I don't know, just because you're the first 
athletic trainer that I've talked to, I imagine being somewhere for eight years is not, not the norm, just everywhere. No, 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 no. It's not the norm. It, it's funny. I interviewed with the Brooklyn Nets my first year. Um, at the end of my first year, they replaced that staff. I interviewed with, um, uh, had an initial interview with the Warriors. I'm not sure how interested they were at the time. Um, I didn't really get far enough in the interview process because Miami kind of came in and they moved fast. Uh, but they had a turnover after the first year, after my first year in the league. There was one year in the league where there was like 30% turnover. Wow. So that's, I mean, that's, that's a big deal. That's, yeah. you know, that's a big deal. And, and it's, it's an easy place to place blame, right, on the medical staff. It's an easy, it's an easy um, department to replace as well because there are a lot of people think they want to do this job. Um, it's, it's not, you're not replacing a $250 million player either, right? Yeah. You see what I'm saying? It's so like a whole, an entire medical staff isn't, isn't costing you, you know, $3 million. So you, it's from business decisions, it's a lot easier to replace that than it is to replace, you know, a player who's making $35 million a year. So, um, but we have a really, really stable system here. Um, it isn't the norm, which is great. We're not the norm. It, you know, you, you hear Spo say we ain't for everybody or we're, you know, we're not, we're really not. And he's right about that. And it's, that's all across the board. Um, but when you are made for this place and when you put your roots into this place, they put themselves into you. And so it's a, they invest into you and it, that makes you feel good about investing into them. Right. Yeah, for sure. So having, I mean, we you just talking about coach Riley. I mean, he's basketball royalty. I was thinking about this because I was thinking about this interview today and I was just thinking about, this is a guy who, as far back as University of Kentucky, he was on the court in the national championship game against Texas Western and that uh, Dan ha or uh, Coach Haskins, that team, right? Where like, Glory Road, the movie, they made a movie about it. Like he's bad. He's from that to the Showtime Lakers, to the to the Knicks, to like he's literally basketball royalty. And so um, I'm not starstruck most times. Uh, there have been a, a few times in in my in my life where I've been like, wow, and that was that was one. It's he comes in and we we can I still it still happens to this day. We'll converse and like I'm totally cool. It's Coach Riley and we're going back and forth. And when he walks away, like my brain clicks. It's like, oh my gosh, that's Pat Riley. <laughs> so it takes me a minute to kind of, you know recover from that but um coach Bolstra and I can't say I can't say enough about who he is and kind of the things that he's done as a coach um and then also just for me personally and professionally pushing me and challenging me to to be better um and to work on on things to be better not only for myself but for this team um in my eight years here he probably, and this is, I'm trying to make it as unbiased of, of an opinion as I can. It's going to sound extremely biased, but in my eight years here, he could have been coach of the year, probably for those eight years, hands down, like walking away with it. And that would be kind of unheard of in the NBA for a head coach to be, you know, four years out of eight, 
their that their coach of the year. And, and I'll hop in real quick. I mean, I, I don't think that that is a bias point for me. I mean, I think his resume speaks for itself of how good of a coach he is in this league. I mean, he's he's a Hall of Fame coach. He's a top fifteen coach all time. Yeah. Like, and he's not even, you know, he's not at the end of his career. He's still no. coaching at a high level. Oh yeah, and he's gonna. He seems like he'll still be here for a long time. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, you were kind of talking to me about it, but like, what can you say about him just as a leader, like for the group of guys on the court? Um, he, he's phenomenal. And with regards to, he's always studying leadership, uh, ideas, leadership practices. Um, we have a staff retreat that we do every year. That's kind of, his baby and and he's kind of you know just brought that to the table and and it makes us better every year um, because we get to sit in in a room behind closed doors and just hash things out as a staff and that just translates to the players right when the players come in so that we're all on the same page we all have the same line of communication uh, but to sit back and watch him and how he works with these strong personalities. I mean, we mentioned before the show, we were just talking about the Brooklyn Nets and you have Katie, James Harden and Kyrie, and they all three probably think that they're the, the best player on the court at any given time. And so we, you have that same thing in, in, every, in every team, right? You have Jimmy Butler, who by all accounts in the media is a polarizing figure. Jimmy's an amazing individual. He's, a, he's an unbelievable competitor. And I think that's why he gets a bad rap is because he expects others to put in as much effort and work as he does and that he has. And so that's why you get the, the blowups that, that you see that happen is because those guys, in my mind, aren't putting in what Jimmy thinks they should be putting in. Yeah. So you have guys like that that you have to, to be able to control. And then you have a guy in the room that's that's a pretty good ball player too and Bam Adebayo. And then you got a Kyle Lowry who's a champion. You know, so you've got all these different personalities in this room, and he has to mold those guys together and get them to play together for the betterment of the team. And then you got, you know, young guys, right? So you have 18-year-old guys that are just coming into the league that are, you know, they want to get theirs too. Oh, yeah. So it's um to see what he does with with the team and with the staff and just his his leadership again none of us are perfect so there there are days when he and I butt heads but I think it's more to move the organization and to move each other forward right so um, I have nothing but the utmost respect for him as a as a person and a coach yeah I, I think that there's been a greater appreciation for him league-wide over the past few years just for, just for the simple fact that like his first real tenure was when the best player in the league happened to come to the team and there was a great big three there as well, obviously with LeBron, D-Wade, and Chris Bosh. And so, like, I think for people now to realize, like, it takes the whole unit to win the championship, and he was just as much a part of that as those guys were, and now that's showing because of his team's success even after LeBron James has been gone. Right. I mean, and you think even with, even with LeBron here, 
he had to he had to manage those personalities. He still had to manage that in order to get the most out of them, right? So, which ultimately the, led to uh, a LeBron that his peak, in my opinion, while he was there. Right, and there there are other big threes that haven't accomplished oh. what this big three accomplished, right? Yeah, and they did. They went to four straight finals and they won two. Okay, they didn't win all. They didn't even win all four. That's how hard, not only that's how hard it is to win a championship, but that's how hard it is to manage these guys and these personalities and keep everything moving in the right direction. Yeah, uh, Nikias Duncan, he hosts, this, he hosts a podcast called The Dunker Spot, and he actually tweeted something the other day and was like, it was after some of the Nets news, and he was like, the Miami Heat Big Three is aging really, really well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's a credit to that's a credit to Spo because he was able to, to manage those personalities to get – the most out of those guys and to it's hard to finish out a season. It's a long, long, grueling season. And it's there are times in the season, I'm talking about postseason and toward the end of the season, where I've seen, you know, being here for eight years, I've seen one or two teams just kind of be like, ah, we'll go ahead. Whatever happens, happens. You know what I mean? They're tired. They're yep. worn out. It's like it's a lot. It is brutal. For sure. Um, so now I want to kind of like transition towards your average every day and then go to some stuff in this season before we kind of wrap it up with just some stuff throughout your career there. But what's an average day for you like? Oh, gosh. Um, I wish there was an average day. <laughs> there's there's really not, which is why. Well, I, I'll, I'll backtrack. It's probably I probably don't wish there was an average day to be totally honest with you. I love the fact that it's Every day is different. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that I, I come into the training room and I have no idea what's coming in that day. Because these guys will get hurt in the game the night before, but might not necessarily feel it. You know, they might have had a, a tweak of an ankle sprain, or they took an elbow in the ribs, and they don't even really feel it because their adrenaline and the testosterone and everything's pumping, and that, you know, they're in the heat of battle, and then they get home and then take a few minutes and they're like, oh yeah. Or they wake up sore. And so they come in and it's like a whole new day. It's like, okay. in well, the first response in my, in my mind is like, why didn't I know this last night? It's like, well, they probably didn't feel it last night. They're just now feeling it. So every day is different. But um, for me, it's, you know, I, I'll take you through like a game day. So I'll get to the training room around eight in the morning, start getting guys ready for shoot around. We'll have shoot around at 10. That'll usually go until they'll do, they'll do film and shoot around. That'll usually go to 11, 1130. Then guys will get a little treatment after that. So I'm getting um, a little break between roughly 1 and 3.30 or 4 o'clock. So I have a little kind of mid-afternoon break. And then I'm back in the building 3.30, 4 o'clock to start to get guys ready for a 7.30 or 8 o'clock game. So we have – we call them table times. We have scheduled times for guys to be on the table, as you might expect. The younger guys are on the table first, and then the vets come in a little later. That just and it and it, a vet may want to be on the table earlier, so we kind of give the vets choice. But typically, the it's the younger guys first because they're going to be in the building a little longer than the vets are, um, and they the vets have kind of earned that. So that's kind of how we how we handle it. And guys are always on the table, uh, getting hands on work, and then they'll go to their lift or whatever it is that th that they're going to do that day. If it's a practice day. Um, they may go to lift and then, and then to practice, or they may practice and then lift. Same thing with game days. Some guys lift after a game, yeah. right? Some guys lift 
do, or do an activation before the game. So I was actually listening to I listen to Duncan Robinson's pod regularly, and he was actually talking about how he actually likes to lift after games. And I mean, I've heard some people say it, but I didn't realize it was maybe as regular as it probably is throughout the. A lot of guys actually do it. Yeah, Victor Oladipo, one of our guys this year, he lifted after games, and so it's um it's not as as it sounds ludicrous when you first hear about it, like or when you first think about it on the surface. I was like, why do they do that? But um, I get it. They're getting that work in that day, and then the next day can be more of a recovery, active recovery day for them. Yeah. Um, you know, I can only imagine how I don't want to. I don't want to say hectic, but maybe that's just the word in my mind right now. But with all the injuries you guys dealt with in the regular season this year, I mean, I, I assume that was probably a lot just to go through throughout the entire regular season. Obviously, it transitioned to the playoffs as well. But regular season, how was it to just constantly be kind of going through guys? making sure they were getting ready to get back. Yeah, and that's it's a that's normal. Like for a typical season, guys just get beat up. It's a it's actually a, a pretty violent sport. If you can sit close enough to watch it, it's it's a contact sport. Um, so it's it's fun because again, it keeps me busy, it keeps things flowing. Um, you see things you never would expect to see sometimes with with injuries. Um, just some things that like don't make sense, but it's like, okay, well, we just deal with it in the moment. Uh, so you do, you do what you can for, for those individuals and you, you basically just work to get them back to a healthy state before you put them back out on the court. Um, but that's, every team goes through that, every team deals with that. So um, for me, uh, that's part of the, that I enjoy. Now we do a lot of work on the front end to try to, no, if anybody tells you that they can prevent or predict injury, they're full of it. You can't prevent or predict it. All you can do is try to give a guy as much armor as you can to hopefully uh, stave off some of those things, right? So that's, that's kind of what we do on a daily basis is we're always looking to try to help a guy um, build up his armor or increase his mobility to keep him as, as – uh, injury risk to keep his injury risk down mm -hmm. right so i can't prevent injury but i can definitely minimize risk with some of the things that we do and that's really what we do on a daily basis um every team is gonna suffer the injury bug it's a matter of when it hits you and timing and a little bit of of it is luck um right so golden state early on in the year people forget but they were they were a lot of those guys were out for they they had a terrible start to the season by by Golden State standards and by – Started out really hot, and then it took a big drop-off. Yes, yeah. yes, big drop-off. And that's just part of the game. That's just part of the game. I mean, in the playoffs, yeah, we had some some injuries. Um, but I would just tell you uh, with regards to that, that every team at that point is dealing with something. Every team is dealing with something because it is – it's literally guys are banged up um, because it is – it's brutal. And it's a seven-game series, and each game – is more intense than the next. Not just each round, each game. So a game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals is a brutal, brutal game. Oh yeah. And I, I've, I've spoken my frustration with this before, but I, I don't think that, I thought that the Conference Finals were weird in a sense that we had every other day games because it was a catering to the play in from earlier on. So why in the first round are we having series where they get two or three days in between some games, but in the conference finals, we have a day in between. 
I, I agree with you and I can, I can tell you one reason why. And the only reason why, um, it's, it's, it's got to do with money and it's because of the TV, right? And TV kind of dictates a lot of that. So, um, I don't know how much wiggle room there is with the league, but when the TV deal is as big as it is, you, you, it, it kind of does dictate it. Right. So I think, I think our, I know we're, we're coming up on a new TV deal and this is out of my realm and probably shouldn't even speak on it, but I think this last TV deal was like around 2 billion. And I think the next one's expected to be around eight. So, yeah. So you can see like that. So that's what it's about. Right. So I get it. I'm with you from a health perspective and, and, you know, athlete safety perspective and product on the court perspective, it would make sense to have a couple of days between games. You know, you get that extra recovery, you get that, um, but there's also something to be said for a guy gets hurt and a team's got to figure it out. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you know, just coming off the injury stuff that we were talking about, you guys did happen to suffer a lot in the postseason. You know, I, I don't expect you to be able to just open up a ton, but I just want to know if what insight you maybe could give us on, for instance, like, you know, Jimmy Butler was clearly dealing with quite the knee injury. And, like, a guy like Kyle Lowry was clearly dealing with an injury. And Tyler Hero was, you know, kind of off and on later in the playoffs. And then even P.J. Tucker later as well. Just what insight could we get from you being right there helping those guys along the way as to what they were dealing with maybe right as the playoffs were ending for you guys? Yeah, so, um, yeah, and you, you alluded to it. I can't talk a ton about, like, specifics of the injuries, but I, I, I did want to address this question because it is – it is a, a a point that I don't think a lot of people um, realize or or really think about. Maybe they they do realize it, but then it's like when you point it out and, and talk break it down a little bit more. I think they they have a greater appreciation for it. But if you remember with um, with our series with Boston, uh, Robert Williams was hurt for them. Yeah. Marcus Smart. Um, was hurt for them. Uh, Jason Tatum got hurt in a game. In the same game, Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart, Marcus Smart both got hurt and came back. Smart's ankle and Tatum's shoulder, right? Yeah, so you have all the things that we're going through, and you want to feel sorry for yourself, or you want to, you want to you know, think about um, – you start to question, am I doing – did I do everything I could? Am I doing a good job? And then you have to step back and be like, wait a minute. They're dealing with all the same stuff we're dealing with on the other side. So that's where where it becomes, for me, probably really difficult as a coach Mm. because now you're having to – it's one thing to know that, okay, Jimmy's not going to play in the next game. We're going to get him some rest. That's one thing because you have an entire day of game planning and things that you can do. But for something to happen in game and now you're like, okay, we got to shift to this. And I think that's one of the things that benefited us early on is, as you mentioned earlier, we had some injuries that we dealt with through the season. We had guys that had to get experience. We had guys that had to play because of that. And I don't know that the otherwise would have gotten that valuable valuable experience. Maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. But we have guys that got some really good experience that turned out to be very valuable for us later in the season. I mean, you have guys like Gabe Vincent, guys like Max Struess, mm-hmm. right? Guys like Caleb Martin, guys that probably wouldn't have gotten it a, 
as as many minutes as normal, you know, in a in a normal NBA season, just because of the you have guys that are technically in front of them on the on the um, the the big board, right? So I I gotta play certain guys. I gotta play, you know. We always call it got to play the money, but you have to play yeah. the guys that you're, you know what I'm saying? I, I don't mean that to be disrespectful, but those oh, are yeah. guys you the have totem to play. Pole, the totem pole is there for sure. I mean, you, yes. you obviously can't just, you know, it's obviously not something, hey, we're just going to play you, you, and you. No, I mean, you right. got, you're spending real money on these players. Yes. They, they obviously have to get their time based off their pay almost in a sense. Yep. Yep. And it's, and it's not, it's not 100% like that, but if you no. just start to think about it like that and think about, the fact that because of what we went through early in the season, those guys got a lot of good quality reps and they were able to give us some great um, output on the back end of that. So when I think about, you know, the, the injury side of it, um, I know that it's, I'm the director of rehab uh, as a PT. Um, I'm an assistant athletic trainer. And I always tell people I'm probably one of the few people in, well, not few people, but in the world, relatively speaking, that doesn't want to be busy with work. Like if I'm busy rehabbing someone, that's not good, mm -hmm. right? Because somebody's hurt to the point where they can't play. But if I'm busy doing other things like working in the weight room with a guy or working on conditioning with the guy or working on just overall um, body health with the guy, movement health with the guy, then that's great. That's what I want to be doing. If I'm working on those sort of things, activation and and uh, mobility type drills with guys, as opposed to rehabbing an injury, I'd, I'm probably the, one of the few PTs on the planet that would rather be doing that because that's what, you know, that's what drives the game. That's what drives the game forward. So every team deals with those injuries. Every team deals with, with those things in the playoffs because it is brutal. Um, and it's just a matter of a little bit of luck as to when those things happen. I mean, a guy goes up for a rebound and comes down and lands on somebody's foot. There's nothing that I'm going to do across an entire season that's going to prevent that. If that's yeah. going to happen in game six of, of the Eastern Conference Finals, then we're going to do everything we can to get that guy ready for game seven. And then at that point, it's a decision. Is, is he safe to play? Yes, he's safe to play. Can he play? <laughs> I mean, is it, is it, you know, how does he feel? He may just not feel good. And this this is a question that I I just it just randomly came to me and I just want the I want the athletic trainer's perspective. What do you say to people? Obviously, for instance, somebody makes it out a game and the immediate connotation is oh he's soft. What do you say to those people? Oh gosh, I typically avoid conversation with those people. <laughs> <laughs> or or I'm like yeah 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 he's soft and you just keep moving right because it's like I don't even want to deal with it right <laughs> um, and I know that. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't just be in a conversation with somebody and be like, yeah, 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 you know, he's, he's soft and he's this and that and just be in agreement, in agreement with them. I, I sometimes, most of the time I try to avoid the conversation. Yeah. But if, if it has to happen, I'm going to tell them just like I told you, like, this is a brutal sport. Like this, these guys are, are beat up. Yes. They are paid a lot of money to play a game, but this is the way that they make their living. This is this is how they make their living, and they're playing 82 games in a regular season. So they may play a game tonight, and then fly from Miami to Brooklyn, 
And now you have to play the three-headed monster in Brooklyn, right? The very next night. So they're playing a back-to-back. So, um, you know, if anybody is a weekend warrior and they play basketball on the weekends and you play one day of three or four games and you, you think about how sore you are on Sunday, right? Well, go play Sunday too. And then think about how you feel on Monday and then multiply that by about a thousand because these guys are bigger and faster and stronger than you. And that's what these guys are dealing with. That's that's like, you know, I was telling you before the pod, like I'm a Clipper fan and I think there were four weeks this year where the Clippers had five and seven. And it's just like, you just never know what your schedule may draw up. And it's just brutal. Five games in seven days. Five games in seven days. I mean, that's, it, it is brutal. That's a lot. And, and you know, it's not like you have five games in seven days and three of them are in Philly, right? You're traveling all <laughs> over the country. So you have that aspect of it. So mix in the travel with it. You have the aspect of everybody wants to see LeBron play. So LeBron has to play in all five of the seven, right? So Jimmy has to play in all five of the seven. You have the aspect of what part in the season is this and where are we um, in relation to playoff standings and like it, things become, every game is important. There's no game that's not important. So five games in seven days, again, that goes back to, to credit Spo and how he manages the team and minutes and he does all of those things, he and his staff, and that's what contributes to our success, that he does that all season so that our guys are capable of making a long postseason run. Um, you know, obviously, uh, looking forward, um, also, that I thought just a lot of that insight was awesome, so I just want to say that real quick. But um, looking forward, you know, the obviously there's some things have to be worked out, whether guys in free agency or extension talks or whatever. But for the most part, I think, I think it's safe to say that a good part of this core will be back next year. What can you speak as to the chemistry of this current team? Um, so last year, this, this is a, it was a great group. Like, I, it really was. I have um, – it's one of the, the hardest years that I've had as far as working, but I think that's got to do with more of the COVID stuff and coming out of COVID and the COVID rules, right? Because um, you had the bubble, then you had the year after the bubble. And then this year was actually – it's just – everybody's kind of unsure of how things were going to move and how – and it kind of just – changed and, and molded differently all season. So it was tough uh, from an aspect of working it. But this group was, they, they're, they're a good group. I mean, there was the, the incident that went viral on the bench, right? Where guys are, when uh, UD and Jimmy were yelling at each other and Spo and Jimmy were yelling at each other. And that was just a moment where any other team could have completely just gone off the rails, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's honestly what it was made to be on national media. Yes. And and the thing is, is like, would we have liked that to have happened at a practice or in the locker room? Yeah, of course. Right. But it happened when it happened. And it, literally, the the media could have driven it. How, like they tried. Right. They tried yeah. to drive it a certain way. even, And that group was so tight knit and they trusted each other and they'd been through enough with each other that they were capable at that moment of calling each other out and doing the things that they needed to do and sweeping it under the rug and moving on with it. 
there aren't very many teams in the NBA that could have done that. And again, that's a credit to the guys in the locker room and the trust that they have for each other and Spo and how he managed them the whole season to get to that point. Right. So you get to that point and literally that could have gone a completely different direction and it didn't, it was just this moment. And even in the post game presser, like, you know, they asked Spo about it and he's like, yeah, we were arguing about where we we're going to, to dinner tonight <laughs> yeah. after the game. And it's like, and it's literally like, that's essentially what it became. Right. Is this like this, this thing and it's over. If, if I'm not mistaken, didn't that kind of happen in the midst of like a small little losing streak as well? Like it, yeah. like, it, like, I mean, you're exactly right. Like from the outside looking in, that's something that was maybe looked bad and could have gone worse for who knows how many teams. Right. And probably would have, but it's like, I mean, yeah, you're in the middle of this losing streak. You you're, these guys are dealing with so much like, because it was late in the regular season as well. Late in the regular season. You're, you're vying for the number one seed. You're, you're, you know, jockeying for that position. Uh, again, we go back to the personalities that you have, right? The personalities that you have in that locker room and on the court, and you're dealing with all of that. And for, we haven't even gone into the, the aspect of like, these guys live lives too. Yeah. It's basketball. Like I know I come home and, you know, and I, I'm seeing going to live by myself, but you know, if things are messed up in my relationship with my brother or if things are messed up in my relationship with, with my parents or I have a fight or, or disagreement with my mom on the phone on the way to work, like that affects me at work. This is work for those guys. Like most people don't even think about that aspect of it. So it, it could have been any, any myriad of things that, that we could talk about or assume that was going on outside of even basketball, right? But to be able to, to just come together and say, look, what are we in this for? All of us in this room are in here for one common goal. We're in here to win a championship. That's what we're in here for. And all of that that's outside of that doesn't matter. All of that is just a distraction. So um, that's one of the things I've, I've learned from being here is just to try to rid that group of those distractions. And Spo does a, a, a great job of that. Even in that moment, which that moment could have become a huge distraction to what we wanted to accomplish for the rest of the season. And we didn't allow it. The team didn't allow it. The players didn't allow it. The staff, the coaching staff didn't allow it. And we just, we moved on and we moved forward, not just moved on. You, we moved forward from it and we're better because of it. Uh, don't get me wrong. I've enjoyed this whole interview so far. I think that's my favorite thing that I've been able to hear to this point. <laughs> that was great. That, that was pretty awesome. And it's just, it's just my perspective. Like I'm just telling you from a perspective of where I sit, and what I see, Spo may say something completely different about it. Jimmy may say something completely different about it. But my perspective to see what, what came out of that moment and, that, and what could have come out of that moment. So what could have happened and what did happen were completely separate things and completely different things. And it, it moved in the right direction. For sure. I mean, came out of that and ended up being a shot away from the NBA Finals. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> But uh, and then you know, obviously, you know, sadly, you got unfortunately for you guys, that's how your season ended. But uh, you know, still a great season nonetheless. But you know, we don't really want to talk about that. We don't want to put you in those type of positions. You guys had a great season, but we do want to ask you about just previous players that you've been able to work with and previous situations. Obviously, you were there for kind of like the latter part of Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but LeBron was leaving as you were coming in, correct? 
Yeah, so LeBron left uh, the year that I came in. Yes, they they had to move off of his salary in order to afford to pay me. That's what I always tell them. <laughs> and that's a lie. If you believe that, I can tell you some beachfront property in Tennessee somewhere. <laughs> but obviously, yeah, Wade and Bosch were there. Udonis Haslam has been there the entire time that you've been there. Um, just anything I, I want to ask about Dwayne Wade first and I just kind of want to open the floor to you but how was it with that guy just such an all-time great seems like a really good dude just really kind of embraced the whole heat culture thing and being like a heat lifer like you mentioned earlier just what was it like being around Dwayne Wade um it's it's so funny because Dwayne and I are friends we be, we became friends over that course of time and so again it's one of those times when I have to step back and separate from it and I'm when I'm thinking about coach Riley and and I step back and I'm and I start to actually realize who Dwayne Wade is like he is the Miami Heat right like that's the face of the franchise um when you think about the Miami Heat you're not the first player you're going to think about is is Dwayne Wade for sure he's an he as good a player as he is, he's even a more amazing human being. He's just a, a great guy. Um, I in my in his latter years, I you know would always go to him and I would just be like, "You got four more, right?" And he's he the first time I did, he's like, four more what?" I said, four more years, right?" <laughs> and so even his last year, I said the same thing. I was like, "You got four more years, right?" And I I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to to sit down with him after um, a couple games, you know, a few games, I would always say, you know, thank you. You know, I, I really enjoy watching you play basketball. I'm like, I'm, I feel blessed to be able to have the seat I have to watch you play this game. And it was really cool to do that after he had a triple double his, his last game in, in Brooklyn. Um, because it's just basketball history and he's, you know, one of the top three probably shooting guards ever, right? Like he's he's just one of those one of those guys that's like he's again basketball royalty. He he's one of those um once in a lifetime players. And to come into an into a situation and be accepted by him right out of the gate. Like he saw me as a professional. He saw me as, you know, as a as a physical therapist and a director of rehab and um we just connected. And so we, you know, he's one of the guys that I worked a lot with and um, just a, 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 an even better individual off the court. I mean, we, we spent some time off the court together, you know, just going to, to dinners and, and things. And I never, um, I never saw him like turn down somebody asking for a picture. You saw his last year as he would sign as many autographs as he could sign. He'd stay so late to do that or go out so early to shoot, to do that. I mean, he didn't have to do that. And so that just speaks to who he is. Um, just a great, a great individual. Uh, another one, Chris Bosch. It's funny, literally just texted me a few minutes ago. <laughs> he has a, he's having a basketball camp this summer and he's like, you're coming, right? You're coming. So I'm just trying to get those dates nailed down so that I can go and be a part of that. And that just speaks to who he is, yeah. right? He's, um, you in sports, it's so transient, especially at this level where it's a business and guys are, are kind of 
different places and here or there. But I've been lucky enough to come across guys like that, that even though Dwayne went to Chicago and, and to Cleveland and then back, and that he's in ownership now with a different team in the Utah Jazz, we stay connected. Um, Chris Bosh, even though he doesn't live in Miami anymore and he's, and he's back in Texas, we, we stay connected and we, we check in on each other. And that just speaks to who they are. It's not about who I am as a person. That speaks to who they are because they could just move on with their lives and do whatever it is that, that they want to continue to do. Um, but one of the things that I loved about Chris is I never saw Chris warm up for a game. I never I, – I've been trying to rack my brain to remember when I saw him actually, like, go out and shoot like guys do. Like, guys go out and shoot so much before a game. He did that to some degree, but not like – what guys do now guys are like getting a mini workout in right oh yeah chris always was sitting in his locker reading a book always he's one of the most cerebral people let, let alone players that i've ever been around um and so it, it's cool like to be able to hang out with those guys and talk to them about stuff outside of basketball and so i guess i know you're asking about being around them as as basketball players and individuals but for me, the stuff outside of basketball is pretty much irreplaceable. And to be able to those experiences that I've had that I've had with those guys outside of basketball have been some of the coolest things. Um, but I also respect and value uh, the ability to, to have seen them play on the court. I mean, um, those guys were, you know, basketball was snatched away from Chris earlier than than it than it probably should have been. Um, kind of at the height of his career. He, he would have probably signed another hundred plus million dollar contract. I mean, he was, he was still that good. Um, so it's, it's cool to, to be part of that process and to see those guys and to have been able to see them in their environment on the court and then know them off the court as well. For sure. That, that's really cool stuff. Um, Let me hop in here real quick. Yeah. So, Anything that you can, any funny stories that you could tell about Chris Bosch that he wouldn't absolutely kill you for? Some were probably funny about me just because um, he's, he's a and kept together than I am, but he, uh, we, we both have a, a mutual friend, Josh McRoberts, played for us. Oh, yeah. Uh, here's mine. He played, at, yeah. Lefty Duke, played yeah. for the Bobcats as well a little bit. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Super, super gifted. Another another guy that was, you know, injuries just kind of ended his career early, but super gifted uh, on the basketball court. And uh, anyway, so Josh got married, and he asked Chris to officiate the wedding. So that's probably one of the – the funnest weddings and one of the funniest experiences I've ever had with Chris. Cause I get to also share a moment in my friend Josh's life that is irreplaceable, right. To go in and be there for that. But to have this, this beautiful wedding and Chris is so well-spoken, he does such a great job. And obviously he's, he had, he's a very funny individual. So um, our Christmas videos here with the heat, he was always, an acting character in those things. And he, he's just a funny individual. And so I can vividly remember Chris saying at the end of the um, ceremony, by the power vested in me or from the great state of Indiana, uh, everybody just started cracking up just because it was so, I mean, it's so Chris Bosch. It was literally 
just how he is and who he is um, because he shared that moment with them and show, he's showing his love for them, but he's also himself, right? And he yeah. had a great deal of comedy to go along with it. Um, yeah, and then uh, I just – I wanted to ask, obviously, about uh, Udonis Haslam. You know, some people kind of make make the joke that he's, like, the best-paid assistant coach in the NBA. But, like, I, th- I think he is an important element to the team and just also seems like – you know, I think uh, – pretty sure Duncan had him on his pod. Yeah, he did have him on his pod a while back, and it was just cool to listen to him. So I just want to know just what you could say about Udonis as well. You, UD and I also have a unique relationship. I went to Tennessee, and he went to Florida, and we were roughly there about the same time. So I'm, I'm 42 – or 44, and uh, UD's 42, I think, 41, 42 years old. So um, so we have some some heated discussions about Tennessee and, and Florida basketball, but – uh, he's called OG for a reason. He is, he's literally the guy. He's the OG in the locker room. He is the one who holds everything down and everyone accountable. And if there is, you know, it, it can be tough for players to challenge uh, a guy like Jimmy, right? Because he's so good. He's the best player on the team. Um, he, that was obvious in the in the playoffs. You see him just take over. I mean, for PJ uh, and Markeith to look at him and say, we need 47 out of you tonight. And he, he goes out and literally does it. Like, we need, you know, we need, they, I think they said 50 and he got 40. So we need 50 from you. And we got 40. Like, who does that? So you have a guy who is, and his, his personality is so strong that it's probably hard for the other 14 guys on the roster to challenge a guy like that. But we have a guy in house that has no problem, you know, like going, stepping in and, and saying, Hey man, we need to straighten this out. We, we need you. We need this. And he has no problem doing those things. And he, he is a fun loving individual. UD is he's, he's a leader in the locker room. He's a leader on the court. You don't see it uh, in his minutes on the court. But he has a huge positive impact um, on our young guys, teaching them the culture and teaching them um, what it is to be a professional. Uh, He has a huge, profound positive impact in that regard, and that's irreplaceable. So um, I think UD would, you know, you can say that he's the highest paid assistant coach and people can make fun of him. And I I bet UD probably doesn't care. Yeah. You, you can say whatever you want. The guy's a three-time world champion. He is the leader of our crew, um, and we're going to rock with him. And that's, that's just – he's kind of who we are, right? That's that tough nose. I'm a dog. And that's – I mean, we had a ton of undrafted players. UD leads that charge. He's the undrafted OG of this group. And we had a ton of undrafted players on this squad, and that's um, – you know, he takes that – he takes a lot of pride in that. He takes a lot of pride of being, you know, the spokesman and the leader for those guys. And he's been out there, right? I hear him say this all the time. He's like, I've been out there. I've played in these moments. I've I've experienced these things. And there are times when, you know, coach will, you know, ask him if he wants to play. And he's like, this is a great opportunity to put – excuse me, O'Mary in. Or it's a great opportunity to put these young guys in. And that's – I don't know many guys that would, you know, he wants to play. He wants to be on the court. Believe me, 
he wants to be out there, but to be able to have the awareness to know that, Hey, I've been there and I've done this and the success of this team is going to go as these young guys go, they need this experience more than I need to be out there for my legacy or for myself. Put that's like, that's huge. And to me, that builds his legacy. A lot of people would see it as well on the court. It hurts his legacy and he's not out there and he's, He's not playing any minutes. Well, you're not taking the whole picture because to me, he's building an even greater legacy because he's impacting the franchise through young development, which is, I mean, that's what we all, we all strive for. Teachers are the greatest profession on the planet, right? Like they, they teach, you know, us to become greater, right? So I hope that someday I'm imparting this knowledge that, as far as being a director of rehab or a physical therapist that I can help teach somebody below me or help mentor somebody below me. And that's, that's the greatest job you can have on the planet to me as a teacher or a mentor. So he's, he's, he takes that um, seriously and he takes a lot of pride in it and we, we rock with him. I love OG. Do you think that the, obviously I know he probably pours into everybody, but do you think that there's a younger guy that he maybe gravitates towards more than the others? Um, I think he gravitates toward uh, kind of what his role was more than the others. Now, I, I don't know this to be 100% true, but a guy like Bam, right? Go out and he, basically UD's mindset when he first got here through conversations that we've had and I've heard him impart to the players is that he just want, was tasked with going out and getting every rebound. You know, so the story goes that he was in Coach Riley's office and he asked, how can I make this team? And Coach Riley said, you grab every rebound. And that's what he did. I mean, that's what he tasked himself with doing. And so I think he gravitates toward guys like Bam and helping Bam. I mean, guys will play one-on-one -on -one before a game to warm up, which we don't really think about. And UD's part of that process. Like Jimmy, one of Jimmy's things that he does before a game, one of his so-called rituals, if you will, in the playoffs is to play a little one-on-one -on -one before going on the court. And that's how he warms up. Mm -hmm. And UD is part of that process. And it's, it's not by mistake. That's because UD is smart enough to know, right, that I need to be this competitive and I need to give it all the competitive fierceness I, I have, but I also have to be safe and keep Jimmy healthy during this process. So, um, He's a very valuable resource for our team, and people just don't see what he does. And I don't think that UD necessarily cares that people see it. Yeah. He's well, Brandon. That, that's honestly all we have for you today. I, I really appreciate you coming on. You know, I'm I'm glad we were able to finally work it out. Um, but you know, with that being said, uh, this is the end of the Coast to Coast podcast, episode 16. So, Brandon, thank thank you so much, man, for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you, Tommy. I appreciate it. I had a lot of fun today. This was awesome. Yeah.